0: I wanted to spend a little time and look at look at the uh, um the visit of the wise men when they came to Jesus. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2 and just read this. And it's interesting going through the different accounts of the birth of Jesus in the different gospels and see what was lit, what was put in and what was uh left out in the different uh accounts of that. But we find the story of the Magi in in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now let's jump down a little bit. Verse 11 says this, And on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense or frankincense, and myrrh. And we're going to stop right there. Heavenly Father, we pray for heaven's guidance and direction, your Lord, as we share today. Now, Lord, I know there are things in my heart That I've been drawn from your word. Things that you've impressed upon me. But God we sit here as individuals your God. In a different. Each one in a different place. Each one with different needs. I thank you Holy Spirit. That you have the ability to take what's spoken. And interpret it into the language. That speaks to the hearts. Of each person in this place. So God right now. I just pray for your anointing to flow through. And meet every need your God. And apply to our hearts. This word. So that it's relevant to us and helps us to live the way you've created us to live. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I, I, uh, this story is amazing and we have all kinds of renditions of it. We've got certain depictions of it. It's interesting when you go back and look through historical paintings and historical art. How diff- in the different ways that these magi or these wise men are portrayed. When we sing Christmas carols, we sing, we three kings of Orient are. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to figure out where R was. I mean, they came from R, right? We three kings of Orient are. Um, I guess they were just trying to make the phraseology fit, but R was not a place. Just they, they, they switched the, the grammar around, we three kings are of Orient. They were from the east, and uh, if you look historically at the Magi, you find out that there actually was a group of wise men and astrologers. They had the, they would read the stars. They were gatherers of wisdom, the scientists of the day, and their history dates back to the Chaldean uh, times and then the area of Babylonia during the Babylonian uh, empire, and it is believed that That Daniel the prophet Daniel that we have in the Bible was when he was captured as a young boy and taken over there because of his wisdom that he was one of the magi he was one of these knowledgeable ones and in his time over there he prophesied and these magi were familiar with the prophecy of of, uh, in the Bible of Micah that spoke of the child coming a king was going to be born And so when they threw their, they didn't have telescopes like we have today, but using the ability to have, I don't know, sorry, using the ability that they had at the time, I don't know, uh, this has been a recent interest to me, and you've heard a little bit of it, but a few years ago I bought a telescope, and I had some success in taking pictures of the moon, and I had very little success in taking pictures of anything else, but um, it made me become interested in things that are above us in the sky, and so then I got, uh, I know you're familiar with lou but I got an app on my telephone that helps to identify, it's called Skyview, I got the free version, but I can take and find a star in the sky, hold my telephone up there, and it will highlight different things up in the sky, and I can see where the planets are, and like in the early evening, I can see Venus, and then recently you've been able to see Jupiter and Saturn very close to it, and have I lost everybody? Nobody's gone to sleep yet, <clears throat> but, but it's fascinating to me to see the things up there, and now it's become more relevant to me, and I can tell the movement of some of those things in the sky, where to expect them in the first part of the evening, and where to expect them in the early morning, I, because there's a pattern to how things God, God has up there, and what we sometimes call stars are actually planets. And the stars in relationship to our earth pretty much stay in place, but the planets, because of the rotation of the earth around the sun, the planets may be in different places relative to where we are. And uh, it is said that that these ancient ones who spent a lot of time on their roofs at night because they didn't have air conditioning, they were a lot more familiar with where things were in the sky than we are today. So they would notice when... What we may assume was a star is really a planet in a closer proximity to us, but it, it's going to change in, in, in perspective to where we are as we go through the year and as it goes through orbits and things like that. Now, years ago, I went online and saw there was a lawyer who, who uh, being very technical and detailed, wanted to make sure that he placed his star up in a tree in the right position over his manger scene in his front lawn. And so he began researching and looking into where should it, is it, should it be real close to it, should it be way up high, or where should I position this over the manger scene? So he went back, and, and being very detailed and of means, he got an astrological program that could take you back in time so that he could actually look at the sky as it would appear over Jerusalem during the time, of or over Bethlehem during the time, and, and there are all kinds of things about that that... that uh, he said that there was actually a rotation of Jupiter, which was, is, is relative to the king, over the what is, uh, I can't remember, it I think it's Venus, that was considered like a, a, a queen. And then there was another star, I mean a planet that I don't remember the name of, but it was like a child, and it made it, symbolically, there was a circling of this planet, which really had to do with where it was in space at the time. It looked like a movement like this. But it actually, the appearance made it look like that there was a circling of this God, of this, this king planet over, uh, over the Virgin, and then there was a child at the feet. And, and, uh, but the three of those ended up coming into close proximity and, and made it look like one star in the sky. So that sounds very scientific and everything like that. What that doesn't provide for us is how that star moved and directed them to, to Bethlehem because it says that they followed the star to Bethlehem, right? So um, all that being said, these magi, even though we think of them back in time, and they didn't have all the, the facilities that we have with regards to technology, they were smart. A lot of times we think of people in, in the years that preceded us and think that, some, think that somehow that they were intelligently deficient. They may not have known everything that we know today, but I think that if we lived there, we'd probably be astounded in just how much they did know. To not have the charts and yet still be able to forge metal and put the right kind of metals to come together to make something. And who knows who who picks what rock you melt to make iron ore? Who picks what blend of things you put together? There are some very complex things that they were doing, and they didn't have the luxury of a computer in front of them. Where would we be today if all of a sudden somebody said, "I need a metal structure built, and we need to frame it"? Uh, Y'all familiar with the uh, Hagia Sophia? Hagia Sophia over in Istanbul, the big—it's a mosque now, but it started out as one of the early churches. Uh, Constantinople, Constantine had it built, and this massive building that was the largest building in the world for a long time, and is probably not too far from it now but they built all of that without a computer you know they didn't have drafting things like we have today but they were able to build that structure that still stands today with this huge expansive dome they were smart they were intelligent back then they weren't they weren't ignorant so don't think of people back in history of being ignorant they just may have not had all the tools that we have today so uh, these magi were able to look at the sky and were able to interpret the prophecies that had preceded and recognize that there was a king that was born in Israel. And so they began a journey. Now, we have, in our Christian traditions, have songs, We Three Kings of Orientar, and this is uh, just minuscule knowledge, but we don't know that it was three kings, right? We know there's three gifts, and I'm not knocking or trying to blow that all out of the water. I'm just saying there's a lot of things. We call it kings because it fits with the psalm. But really, they were wise men. They were magi. And uh, we do know this, that they came from afar. They came a long way. And uh, we love to depict the, the magi standing in a manger looking over the newborn Jesus. But it probably took some time for them to get there from a foreign land. And so that whole depiction... We know that when Herod issued the order to to massacre any of the the young boys there in Bethlehem, they massacred from two years down in order to eliminate them. Can you imagine the tyranny of that, to be able to do that? That's gruesome and and brutal, but trying to eliminate the newborn child, God already had had a plan in place to protect Jesus. So the Magi left the east, the Orient, probably in the area of Babylon, and they came to Herod because he was the king, and they thought surely the king would know where the heir is, or where the new king is, and, and Herod didn't have a clue. We saw the star in the east and have come to worship him. And then we come on down, and, and Herod consults the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they, can, they look into the scripture, and they say, where's the child going to be born? And they said in Bethlehem of Judea, because that's what the prophet said in verse 6. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least... Among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So Herod cuts the deal with the Magi and says, look, I want to worship this newborn king also. I want to, and the term that's used here is the Christ or the anointed one. And Israel had been looking for the anointed one, but he said, look, if, why don't you go and find him? And then when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to go and worship too. We know that the truth of the matter is he had a diabolical plan. He wanted to, them to go and secretly find where the Christ child was. And then he was going to send his, his troops down there and massacre and try to wipe out anyone that would be um, a threat to his, his rulership. But God knew. And so anyhow, the, the Magi take off on the journey. And uh, in verse 9 it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. You know, all that astrological computation and all the swirling planet and all that type of thing, it may have worked. But when it comes to a a star guiding them, there must have been some type of supernatural light. There had to be something that went and hovered or hovered, depending on how you pronounce it, over over where the manger was, that they could see that this is the location, not just the town of Bethlehem, but right here in this place. This is where he he was. He said, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, it said a house, not a manger, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, we're talking about esteemed, knowledgeable, cream of the crop, professors of science of the day coming to uh, traveling all that far on camels or walking or wherever they were traveling, coming that far, probably over a period of weeks, if not months, and then coming and bowing down to a little baby. Isn't that amazing? The humility of that. A toddler, yes. But they recognized that there was something divine going on. All of their cumulative experience, the hope that was wrapped up in the prophecy, the demonstration that they saw in the heavens, the divine light guiding them to this place, they knew that there was a supernatural intervention going on. God was involved in this thing. And it said, and then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold in the NIV, it says, of incense and of myrrh. And I just wanted to talk just a little bit about these gifts. And I know that we're very familiar with this. A lot of you have already heard this before, but some may not have. And so we're going to take some time and talk about the prophetic gifts that were given to this baby that, that God directed these wise men to bring. Firstly, the gift of gold. Why would you bring gold? What is the symbolism of um, behind bringing gold we know that the reason why they brought gold was symbolic of the fact that it was prophetically speaking to the fact that Jesus had come to be the king this little baby (coughs) that by uh, I don't know what's going on but this little baby that I mean didn't look much like much different than any other baby this baby was destined to be king He was sent to be king, and prophetically, the gifts that they were bringing were testifying to that. Along with that, they brought, in the NIV, it says incense. We always say frankincense, and I checked it in the Greek. It is the word for frankincense. What is the relevance of the frankincense? Why would you bring frankincense to a baby? Because babies, like, you know, want to smell incense in the house? No. The, the actual uh, frankincense was something that was made as an offering to God. It was an incense that was burned before the Lord. And so the, the frankincense in itself is symbolizing his deity, that he may be a baby right here, but these magi coming from so far away, God had given them an understanding that this, this wasn't just a king of earthly nature, of physical uh uh origin but this was a divine birth that god had sent his son emmanuel god with us being born as a baby in this humble beginning but his his origin was really of heaven and so the incense is something that would have been offered to god the frankincense would have been burned before the lord as a testimony to the lord and, and uh, uh, a sweet savor before him and then also and i know um I seem to be moving pretty quickly with this, but the, the third gift was myrrh. And what was myrrh given for? Myrrh was something that was used in the embalming of a body. It was something that was, that was uh, used when someone had died and you were going to cover them. You would anoint them with myrrh. And so in these three gifts, we have a recognition that, that he is a king, we have a recognition that he is God. And then we have a recognition that there will also be a death. Did the Magi know all of that? I don't know that they did, but God did, and God was working through them. And so he, in this fer- these gifts that were brought to this little child, God was symbol- symbolically prophesying over all that would happen in his life, that he was a king, that he was God, and that also he would die a unique And and, an unrivaled death And what that death would do for us Um, I started out today in John chapter 1 And I want to go there I just want to The testimony that we have in scripture The reality of what we have Jesus is portrayed Conveniently in the world By a lot of different people They um, cannot, they, they sometimes deny that he lived, but there's testimony that Jesus lived. There's historical documentation that he lived. There's writings from histor- historians talking about, about him. And so, really, from a scholarly standpoint, you can't deny that he lived. But the identity of who he was does get challenged. Some will conveniently say, well, we believe he's a good teacher. And it's amazing, really, folks, because of our lack of knowledge of God's word, because in the body of Christ as a whole, we have not taken our time to really know what the truth of the Word is. That we can be, we can make ourselves very vulnerable to every impression or thought or teaching. It's amazing what you hear people say that drives me bananas. I don't know if that's very spiritual, but it drives me bananas when I see some of the things that people say online or people just... Flippantly put out there, and people say, yes, 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 because it's familiar to the ear. But people's teaching and people's sayings and things like that, but it's not grounded in the Word. You know, we know truth, and this is not really a knock, okay? This is not really a knock. But just like we're talking today about about the Magi, it was really when Jesus was later in life. I doubt if we're going to see a whole lot of nativity scenes change to see Jesus as a toddler walking around. The magi and the shepherds and the donkeys and the things are still going to be in the manger with Jesus lying there and cradled with his arms up and everything like that because that's our familiar image. And really, we sometimes we'd rather stay with what's familiar to us than really lining it up. But, but that being said, there are people that just say things out there and because we, we are not, as I'm talking as a body of Christ, we're not grounded enough in the Word that we just kind of accept it. And, and and don't ever challenge it because we think that maybe, you know, maybe it'll get challenged and maybe it'll be straightened up. But, okay, uh, to, to be more plain, it's real common for people to talk about Jesus being a good teacher. People will accept that he was of good character and good nature and they went around doing good for people and things like that. Now, if you went deeper and talked about him doing miracles, they might, you know, we'll, we can kind of explain that away. And, you know, the, and really believing what the word says a lot of times they'll stay away from that but they they have a hard time denying that he existed and he definitely had an impact on people and they may portray him in different ways saying that he was a revolutionary and i mean you get into common culture things with regards to uh lifestyle choices and things like that and i heard someone last night singing a worshipful song that he had written online i think it was on the, one of the public television channels but he was singing this worshipful song, had his hands raised and everything like that. But lifestyle-wise, the group that he was with was representing rep- representing uh, lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God. I mean, he, it was, uh, and I thought, you know, h- how how could this be? Um, Jesus was a whole lot more than just a good teacher. And we need to make sure that that when we talk about him that we talk about him in such a way that we make it clear with people. In other words, we need to redefine who Jesus is as a body of Christ. That means that we need to know the word of God and what the word really says he is. We also need to, to uh, be willing to speak out when people say error and when they, when they misrepresent him, who is going to correct the record if we don't? And then along with our word, there also needs to be demonstration. There needs to be a demonstration of the power of the Lord in our lives. That may be through a supernatural word. It may be through a a supernatural demonstration of God's power. But helping people know that he's more than just a good person who walked on the earth. He was more than just a revolutionary. He was more than just a good teacher. He was the son of God. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Look how John described it, John 1. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? What, what's he talking about? He's not talking about the Bible here. He's talking about Jesus, Son of God. He's talking about the demonstrated purpose of God. He's talking about God who came flesh. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was preexistent. There have been teachings that went through the body of Christ that had to be challenged as doctrinal error where they said, well, Jesus just came into existence at that time no he was pre-existent in the beginning from the beginning the word existed and the word was with God so does that mean that he was separate from the word was with God is that what it means that he wasn't the same as he was just with no the scripture goes on years in the beginning was the word the word was the word was with God and the word was God so Jesus from the beginning In other words, we're having to understand how God can become flesh. But this Word who became flesh, this God who became flesh in the the form of a child, was pre-existent. He existed in heaven. He didn't just come into being at at that time. He was with God in the beginning. So he and God were together because he is God. It said before that, the Word was God. Verse 3, through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus was involved in creation. In him was life. And and that life was the light of men. So the very fact that we exist, the very, we owe our very existence to Jesus, this same Jesus that came as a baby that we celebrate at Christmas time, even though that was not, Necessarily the time when he was born in the earth. We celebrated at Christmas time. But he came as a baby, but he was the pre-existent one. He is the one who was involved in creation. He is one that we're dependent on for life. In him was life, and that light was the light of men. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness, but the darkness was, has not understood it. So this light, Jesus, came into the earth, but mankind didn't grasp who was among them. They didn't get the point. They did not get the message. It talks a little bit about John the Baptist in this passage, in verse 8, because people wanted to follow John the Baptist. It says that, that he wasn't the light. He came to be a witness to the light. Verse 9, let's go on from there. It said, but the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John was testifying about the ministry of Jesus coming to light. At the time when John was ministering, Jesus was already alive. John was preceding him by six months. They were cousins with regards to the earthly nature. But Jesus came, and when his ministry got started, John recognized and said, look, I must decrease so that he can increase. You know what? It, it's amazing to me, but th- that's our testimony, too. We need to decrease so that he can increase. And that doesn't mean we step away from infect- effectiveness. It means that we step into effectiveness, but that he's the one that gets glory. Paul, I was re- I've been reading in the book of Acts, and the book of Romans this week, and in the book of Acts, it, it, it talks about how Paul's talking to the Ephesians, I believe it is, and he says, look, there's going to be wolves that come. There's going to be wolves that come, come from without." But there's going to be wolves that come from within. And they're going to do things so that they can be glorified, so that they can be lifted up. They're doing the work of the ministry, but they're doing it for their own exaltation. They've got selfish intent. And uh, um, so we have to be on guard with regards to that. That's just a tangent. This happened to come from my reading this week. But in verse 10, it talks about Jesus says, he was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Um, I, I'm, I'm someone, I get fascinated by a sunset. I was talking to Christopher this week. He said, Dad, I don't know why it is that, that you have to talk about every sunset that you see. It, it's a fascinating thing. I can remember years ago, Pastor Eric, I used to sit out here on this little hillside and watch the sun go down sometimes. I'd just stop the day. Later in the day, i just stop the day and look, I'm just going to take the time to enjoy the sunset. And that's one of the, the blessings out here is the fact that you've got a wide field across there and you get to really see some beautiful sunsets. And, and Matt has been sent, sending me pictures of his sunsets that he's been seeing recently. Christopher was talking to me and said, Dad, you, you, you think about every sunset as though it's something special. I said, well, it is something special. I love it. I love to take pictures of the sky. I love to take pictures of the sunset. And, uh, but you know what? Every day, every morning, now sometimes it's cloudy, but there's a sunset or a sunrise somewhere. And really, it's going on. It's a perpetual painting of the skies. You think about it. It may not be, sun may not be setting here, but it's setting somewhere around the earth. And it's this continually changing patterning of the skies that God's put in place. Around the earth, the sun is rising and setting somewhere all the time and God makes it beautiful around the world for people but you know and among us myself I sometimes chide myself and obviously we can't stop all the time but there's a lot of times when God paints that beautiful sunrise or that beautiful sunset and I just completely miss it I'm drab in the morning getting a cup of coffee or getting my day started up or maybe the engine's not cranked like it's supposed to be cranked and or I'm busy at the end of the day. I happen to be in a building and don't happen to notice the beauty that he's painted around us. And I'm using that as an example, but it's multiplied 10,000,000 times through the flowers and the, the clouds and the singing of the birds and the family members that are around us. And sometimes we don't, just don't take the time to notice what God's blessed us with. But all around us, everywhere, every day, There's beauty. And there's a demonstration of God's love towards us, even in the natural things, besides that special intervention that He's brought into our lives where He speaks to us through His Word. We have to take time for that too, for that enrichment. We can miss that just as we can miss the sunrise or the sunset. We've got to take time to be still. Take time to create an environment where God can speak to you. It may be turning off the radio in the car, if it's something that's tangling up your mind or it may be turning on the radio and putting on some worship music and spending some time with Jesus. We've got to take time to receive the gifts that He's giving us on a regular basis. There's a God has special gifts that He wants to give you. There's these natural things that go on, but God wants to speak to your heart. So the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness didn't receive it. They, he was walking among them. Can you imagine that? I can't even grasp it. But the, the, the demonstration, Jesus in the middle of the people, he's feeding 5,000, he's healing people everywhere he goes, he's delivering people from darkness, and somehow they didn't get it. They missed it. Look, I'm going to tell you this, miracles in themselves don't change a heart. People will come for the miracles Food's on. People have come for the meal, but they didn't grasp who it was that was among them. Thankfully, some did, and some chose to follow. He was in the world, verse ten, and and though and though the world, I'm sorry, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It says in verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look, if you receive the word of the Lord, if you've believed on him, it may rock your sense of identity in a good way. It may send a shudder through your system. It may even be hard to say because. You look in the mirror and you see the same person you did yesterday. And attached to that visual image is your understanding and knowledge better than anybody around you is your representation, your understanding of everything that you have been in your past. And even when we've been walking with the Lord for a long time, sometimes it's hard to shake that. Because we haven't seen yet everything that's intended. We haven't seen it all. God has. But we do know where we came from, and so we're still judging ourselves based on our past or valuing ourselves based on our our self-worth, self-esteem. It's all based on the the, the past thing until God gets a hold of us and, and creates a vision, and we can begin to see ourselves for what we're created for. But let me, I want to go back and just say this. If you have heard the message of Jesus Christ, if you have believed on his name, you have the right, folks, this is, this is, I know these are baby steps for some of us, but for some it's not. But you've got the right to stand and look at yourself in the mirror and say, you're a child of God. You're not on the outside of God's purposes and plans. And I, say it, I said it before and we will say it again. There's a chair at the table with your name on it. If you believe in Him, you It's not that you will be, you are. Your identity currently, your identity now is that you are a child of God. And if there's anything in your system that somehow makes you reel back from that or pull back from that and feel like you're unworthy, then you need to do war against that thought. Tear that stronghold down and understand you have been accepted. You're a child of God. Verse 12, that scripture needs to be memorized. Yet to all who have received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You're not children based on your natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born, and what he's trying to say, that born of God, born by the will of God, born by the decision of God, God has pursued you. For salvation God has pursued you for sonship to be sons and daughters of the living God verse 14 said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us Emmanuel God with us that's what he always wanted in the Old Testament he wanted to be among his people and so he established his temple where he could dwell in the Holy of Holies because he always wanted to be with his people that's what he wanted in the Garden of Eden with Adam and, and Eve he came and walked with him in the cool of the evening he wanted to be among his creation And that's what he restored with Jesus when Jesus came in the flesh. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This testimony of John, having walked with Jesus, having seen him at this point in his life, Jesus has already gone up into heaven. But John has seen the enduring testimony of God working in his life. He's seen the revelation that this truth that had been received among the Gentiles wasn't just for the Gentiles, that this was for the whole earth. I mean, it wasn't just for the Jews, it was for the Gentiles, for the whole earth that God wanted to restore. For God so loved the world, he penned in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the one and only, that for all who believed in him, the whole world, that they might be saved. So John, having walked his life out with an enduring testimony, he was able to look back and and see how great a revelation it was that Jesus came. And we started out today talking about those magi and talking about the gifts that they gave. They gave a gift symbolic of the fact that he was a, a king. They brought gold, riches, gold to him. They brought frankincense, which seems unusual in light of the gold because isn't the gold of much more endearing value? I mean, isn't it much more valuable? You can take it to the bank. You can buy stuff with it. Frankincense, that's stuff you burn. What, what of, of comparative value, what would frankincense be except that it's a recognition, recognition of his deity, that he's God? I mean, think about the valuation of that. But folks, within our own lives, the fact that we acknowledge that He is truly God and give Him that place in our life, that's of more enduring value than gold that they pave streets with. According to what the Bible says, they pave streets with in heaven. I mean, that's, that may be value here on the earth, but that incense, that, that worship is of enduring value throughout eternity, right? It's actually more valuable than the gold. The scales are different. And then a myrrh, recognition of His death and appreciating what He did for us. In light of the revelation that we've received and that we've just talked about, my question to you today, what, what kind of gift would you bring? What gift would you bring to the Son of God what do we have to offer him that would be meaningful in any kind of way to, pre- to present before him what gift would it be in light of the fact that he is a king In light of the fact that He is God, in light of the fact that He gave His life for us, He died for us. What gift could we bring that would have any kind of significance or any kind of meaning or any kind of purpose or any kind of enduring value in light of what we know of Him? I was reading in the book of Acts in in chapter... uh, chapter 26 and if you'll turn with me there just just briefly what is an appropriate respon- response what is an appropriate gift to bring to a king like that and and uh <coughs> just a fresh reading of the scripture i loved it i've enjoyed it i've been enjoying it all year long i've just finished the book of acts i finished romans starting colossians today <laughs> but paul is at a point in his life when he's looking back over his ministry and looking back over the things that he's done in the successive missionary journeys that he's been a part of. And in Acts 26 and verse, let me go to verse 20, he's standing before King Agrippa. He'd just been before uh, uh, the governor and now King Agrippa comes over and he's giving a a testimony he's giving a defense really for his ministry he's being accused and it could lead to his death he's made an appeal that he wants to go to rome to have his case heard before caesar and uh but in transition there he had been kept for two years here in this place um in jail but he's looking towards rome and uh he's asked to give a defense before king agrippa so i'm gonna start with 19 he said so then king agrippa i was not disobedient to the vision from heaven First to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and the Gentiles also. What's he talking about? Paul's talking about the fact that one time he was zealous for God. He was, he was born into a, a religious household. He was raised as a Pharisee in the strictest conduct, the strictest sect of Judaism that when he became a young man, he was zealous for God and all that he did. He pursued God, he pursued God, he pursued God. He wanted to do the right thing, and when he heard about the sect that were following Jesus, he went after them tooth and nail uh, with an appointment and with a commission, how he went after the believers and how he would have them thrown in prison and how he would persecute them and, and cause them or try to cause them to recant and turn away from God. And how he even was in agreement when, when, when uh, uh, Stephen, thank you, when Stephen, that would be my son's middle name, uh, when Stephen was, was killed as a martyr and how he was in agreement when others were persecuted and thrown into jail. And then he was given orders and he was able to go travel to other towns and other countries and have the Jews who, who had turned to Christ uh, thrown in prison and, throw, and, and be persecuted but he did it out of love for the Lord. I love the story where he's talking about this, and it's amazing to me because we think about this process with regards to salvation and how long it takes before God can actually use you once you get saved. It says that this light shined from heaven on, on Saul, and Saul was knocked down to the ground. And then the light uh, from the light, he hears his voice and says, "Who are you, Lord?" At that point, it's a, a lowercase l. It's not even an uppercase L. Who are you, Lord? And the voice responds and said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. His, his, his uh, language changed at that point he recognized who he was. And Jesus says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. This is Saul now getting up from the ground. He said, get up. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He said, I'm appointing you to take the message. It didn't say he had time for the playing of just as I am. It didn't say that he came down and made his profession at the front, and he wasn't anointed with oil and all that type of thing, and didn't go through the whole process or even a process of discipleship at that point. He was aware of the scriptures. All of a sudden, a light had turned on in a in a in, in a, uh, with regards to his insight and knowledge with regards to the scriptures. Jesus had appeared to him. And it said that he he went, and after a period of days, he started sharing the gospel and sharing from the scriptures. Now all of a sudden, he had an understanding of the scriptures. He was called like that, isn't that amazing? God had gifting inside of him that had been resident inside of him from his birth. God used all of that formal education that he had, even though there was a missing piece. And when God switched the light on in his life, all of a sudden it just shifted into place like the gears in, a, in a, a cogwheel aligning themselves and he was able to move into the calling that God had for him. Did God train him? Did God raise him up? Did God deepen his experience and his understanding? Of course he did. But he was able to be effective from the beginning. I love that. And then after years of being involved in ministry and seeing God take this gospel, not just, just to the Jewish community, but to the Gentiles as well. Here's Paul in, in chapter 26, and he's giving a testimony before King Agrippa, a testimony of his life. And he talks about how he was not disobedient. He had been faithful to the call. Verse 20, he says this, first, this is where he went, first to Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also. And now I want you to get this these pieces. It said, I preached that they should repent, that they should turn to God, and then and prove their repentance by their deeds. And that was interesting to me. I read it first out of the New Living Translation. It says it a little bit different. It says the same thing, but a little bit differently. And it was good there. <coughs> it's wrong to preach salvation without repentance. Can I say that again, it's wrong to preach salvation without repentance. We have joked and used terminology like a fire escape concerning salvation. It's not just people getting free from punishment. That's, not, that, that's an imperfect picture of what salvation is. Salvation, Jesus made a way for us to be restored. But, folks, it's not just about getting a fire escape, about getting a do not stop in hell pass. You know, the intention is that we should be recognizing who Jesus is, that our lives change and line up with God's purpose and plan. Repentance doesn't mean I'm sorry. Repentance means I'm allowing my life to change. I'm changing course the things that I shouldn't be doing, I'm laying them on the altar. And it's not just the things that I don't like about myself. There may be things that we enjoy about our lives. There may be things that we say, this is mine, and I'm going to do it whether or not I want to or not. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is, Lord, you gave all that you were for me, and I'm giving all that I am to you. It's How would you like to be married to someone, and I'm sorry, but this is the testimony that some have experienced, but when you're married to someone and they're only half in, I'm giving my all to you, and they're giving 50% back, and they've spread their affections elsewhere. Anybody want to sign up for that marriage? Look, I know that that may be a painful reality of some, and I'm not trying to stick a finger on that, but it's no different when it comes to our relationship with God. Just think about the fact Jesus gave everything. Literally. Shed his blood. Gave up heaven to come down to the earth. Come to walk among us. Repentance means that we're all in. Means we we turn and go 180 degrees. Completely turn around. And it doesn't mean that day one we're perfect. But as we take on the lifestyle of a believer that we make up our minds that if there's areas of our life that we find as we walk with him that are displeasing to him that we are willing to change in order to 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 please him it says that we repent and that we turn to God look can I just I'm just going to make this statement that what God has for you is much better than you can ever find in the world anyhow Whatever that thing is that you're holding on to that you think that this is the thing that I'm not willing to give up, just trust God. <laughs> give it up. Let it go. Because what God's got planned for you is so much better than anything the world has to offer. There's nothing there that compares. So he said, repent. We should repent. We should turn to God. And then he says, and, and it says in the NIV, he said, and prove their repentance by their deeds people get it mixed up and they say well i'm going to do good deeds in order to earn my my forgiveness but that's not the case but folks if we're believers if we've received from the 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 blessings of god and there's no difference in the way we live our lives then there's something wrong but if we really are god's children then it's going to change the way we act and our deeds the way we live our lives the things that we do begin to line up with god i want us to go to one more scripture and then we're going to close would you go to Matthew 5? I use this passage a lot, but I think it needs to be embedded in our minds. Because of the fact that I think and I'm about to cook up here. I'm not about you all might be just fine. But I'm going to take my jacket off. <coughs> Forgetting Everybody else in the world, forgetting every other believer in the world, forgetting every other church in the world. We're not standing alone, but putting all of them aside. We, Impact Church, Wilson, North Carolina, we have to get this message. And that is that we are stewards of the kingdom of God. We are responsible for the effectiveness of the message of Calvary, we are responsible for what those people out there know about Jesus. Not the pastor. Would you just say me? No, not David. <laughs> Thank you, Ralph. You're responsible. I'm responsible for the people that I come in contact. I'm responsible for what they know about Jesus. I'm responsible for getting the message out. I'm responsible for living in such a way that they see what Jesus is like. It's always easy to push it on with somebody else and to somehow diminish what I'm saying right now. But I don't want us to diminish it. I want us to get it. I am responsible. You are responsible. Not the Wave Church, not Farmington Heights Church, not Peace Church, not... Not uh, all the other churches in our town. None of those churches are are responsible. We are responsible for the people that we reach. We are responsible for the people we come in contact with. Yes, they are responsible, but we need to get it, make it personal. Why are we looking for someone else? We just had Reinhard Bonnke go to be in the presence of the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you know who Reinhard Bonnke is, Reinhard Bonnke has gone to be with the Lord this week, so there's a celebration in heaven. How many hundreds of thousands of souls have come to the Lord through Reinhard Bonnke? He preached my, uh, my uh, when I graduated from Regent University, he's the one that preached the convocation, the, I don't know, whatever the word is. But he preached that day. And it was just like Reinhard Bonnke. It was a very simple but poignant, pierces my heart. I remember, I remember the message today, but I'm not going to preach it. But sometimes we are looking for a Reinhard Bonnke or a Billy Graham or someone else to do it and we're not doing our part. Jesus spoke to us. We read in John 1, 1, where he said that the light came into the, into the world, but the world didn't receive it, didn't recognize who he was. But Jesus turned around and spoke to us. And even though he had made the declaration that I am the light of the world, he spoke to us and he said, you are the light of the world. Why? Because the mantle of anointing that was on his life, he shared with us. He Wrapped it around us and clothed us with his anointing, clothed us with his presence. Sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us and to work through us. Lord, would you just somehow pierce our hearts, brand it on us, your God. Sear it in our hearts, Lord, that that we bear the responsibility. We're the salt, we're the light. We are those who have been sent to dispel the darkness around us, your God. And it goes on in that passage. Let me just read it, Matthew 5 and 16. He says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Look, you, you may think that you're hiding your faith. You may think that you're hiding from people that you're a believer. Did you know the people around you work know? People that are around you and your families, they know that you're a believer and they're reading your billboard every day. City on a hill can't be hidden. Jesus doesn't want it to be hidden. Jesus doesn't want you to hide. Verse 15, neither do people put a light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. What a waste. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Lord, give us confidence of the effectiveness of the light that you put in us. Confidence that, yes, you're good. Confidence, Lord, that you're big enough to shine through us and to cause an. Uh, a positive effect in the people we come in contact with. I've just got to say it. Look, it is not about you knowing everything that there is to know about His kingdom. It's not about you knowing everything there is to know about the Word of God. It's not about you knowing every truth that's available to you. But it's about you sharing what you have known and sharing who you know. Your story is powerful. Powerful. It will break the yoke in someone's life. This week I showed a, on Facebook, I showed a very skinny picture of myself. The skinniest I've been since high school. In 2008 when I battled colon cancer and I shrunk down to a, a, a mere 148 pounds. And if you look online on Facebook, you'll see this real skinny David List standing beside a real beautiful Cecile. (coughs) And uh, we were having a conversation this week where we were celebrating Carol's birthday, and uh, that story came up about that, and I thought, why in the world did you talk so much, and why in the world did you share that story today? And then that very night, um, I went and picked up my car where it had been repaired, and a man came out there, and after he got me my keys and I went, he walked me to my car and I said goodbye to him and I turned and I feel in this spiritual urge, I said, bless you, as he's turning and walking away. And I said, wait a minute, John, wait a minute. I called out to him and he turned around like, what? I said, John, I'm sorry. I said, "I said bless you, but that's not really what I wanted to say. What I wanted to tell you was, since we talked the other day, we went out on Thursday. Wednesday I talked to him. Was it Thursday we went out? Is that when we went out? Okay. I said, but when I, when I, since I talked to you the other day about coming to pick up the car, I said, you've been on my heart and I've been praying for you. I don't know what's going on with you. I said, but, but God's intentional towards you. God's got blessings for your life. God's got things you wants to accomplish through your life. And I don't know if you know him or not, but God loves you and he's concerned about what you're going through. And he turned to me and he said, he said, a year ago, I went through colon cancer surgery. And I thought that thing that God had refreshed in my mind about how God had carried me through that process. Look, there's all kinds of things theologically that I don't understand, like why I went through it or not, but I know that I went through it. I know God was there, okay? God moved in me in that time. God changed me on the inside during that time. And so I value even that experience because it brought me nearer in relationship to Him. Hard things can do that sometimes. It gets our attention. But John said... He said, it, for some reason, he said, it, it took me this to get really serious about the Lord. And I said, well, let me tell you this, John. I said, you may be a year down the road, but I'm 11 years down the road from that. And I said, it gets better. I said, I'm stronger today. I'm fitter today. I felt closer to the Lord today. I said, God's got a purpose for you, and uh, don't God, God's intentional towards you. And God was able to, I I didn't give him a huge theological speech, but I shared Christ in the middle of a crisis. And God blessed him through it. So, here we go again. Share your story. And let the good deeds that we do in the earth, don't just give something without giving an encouragement. Don't just do something and, and, and hand it off without also sharing Christ. We need to connect Christ to the blessing so that there's a testimony of His his Word and His goodness and His life transformation going along with goodwill. Don't be content with just goodwill. Share Christ. God lavishes blessings on us. He's prepared eternity for us, things that we won't even know. In eternity, what relevance does our giving have when He's the one that's providing everything for us? But we've got this blink in time while we're living here on the earth to be able to give something back to Him. Why don't we give Him ourselves and share the story that He's given us with people? Let's see some people's lives change. Let's get excited about... The testimony, and let's get excited about seeing people coming to know him and knowing that we're going to impact people's lives for eternity. That if we can reach somebody for the Lord, that they're going to populate heaven by one. And they might affect somebody, and it might be by two or three. We've got an opportunity. What more can we give? Live your life, it says that. Let me go back to the scripture, and we're going to close. In the same way, let your light, you are the light of the world, impact church, you are the light of the world. I could call individual names and just say this: you are the light of the world. God's counting on you. You are the messenger. You're the one that's God called. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father that's in heaven. Amen? Let me show you something. Look at this. Eric been working on something. Can you see it? I was real tempted to wear it today. I did put it on, but I took it off. Impact one. This is what we're going to be focusing on this next year. That God help us to reach somebody. God help us to touch somebody. Lord, put someone on our hearts. May God burn somebody on your heart this year. It may be one, it may be... 10 maybe 15 but god make us effective for the kingdom of god would you stand with us let's go to the lord in prayer (laughs) heavenly father lord we want the testimony that people have about us not just be that we blessed them with food and that we gave them a ride but god that while we were giving them that ride or while we were giving them that job to do while we were going busying through our lives your God that what we gave them was Christ through our testimony about what you had done your God through our speaking into their lives hope and truth but God that somehow the light of your glory would penetrate the darkness of their existence your God and that you would illuminate them in such a way that they could never never be the same again so God we come bringing gifts this year to you next week Next, we have one more Sunday before Christmas, dear God, and we're going to be giving gifts to family members and spending time together and loving on people. But, God, our heart this year is that we want to give a gift to you. So, Lord, help us, dear Lord, to live in such a way, to conduct ourselves in such a way, God, that we present treasure at your feet. And, God, we know that above all else, you already sacrificed and gave up heaven to come and be among mankind. Lord, there's nothing that you value more. It's not the gold, it's not the Frankincense. it's not the myrrh. God, you want to see souls come into your kingdom. So God, we're here to align ourselves with your purpose and plan. Would you anoint us and use us for your glory? And God, we'll endeavor to be wise stewards of all that you you give and all all whom you give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. I'm excited about you and what God's doing in your lives.